text for the message this morning is John 18, verses 1 to 11, that we just read together. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the betrayal and arrest of Jesus Christ that we read about in John 18 is important for us as we seek to understand what Jesus Christ went through for us and in our place. And to understand the work of the Son of God on the earth, we have to understand that nothing happened to Jesus Christ against his will. He came to the earth willingly according to the divine plan established long ago. We, we sang about that. Maybe you sang together in your home. In Psalm 40, stanza 3, of the willingness of the servant of God to serve. The Son of God chose the place and time of his birth. He chose the hour of his suffering and death. His life's plan was announced in the scriptures long before it happened. In everything he did, he was deliberately manifesting the love of God for the world that had rebelled against him. He came to save us from the wrath of God that we deserved so that we might be restored to a new life in a relationship of peace with our God, with our Creator and Father. And as we draw near to Good Friday and hear again about the suffering of Jesus Christ at the end of his life, we are overwhelmed by the gospel of his resolute desire to save and protect all those whom God had given to him. You can read about that in the high priestly prayer in John 17, and especially verse 12. He speaks of all those whom God had given to him. His perfect love is manifest in perfect obedience as he did everything for us and in our place. We rejoice to hear of Jesus' work because it is a description of our righteousness. It is a description of how God sees us. That is why the Gospels record it so clearly for us. When we look at our own lives, we may wonder, how could God save us? But when we look to Jesus' obedience in the Gospels, for us and in our place, we can only wonder, how could God not save us? Jesus' willing obedience to God and his love for God's chosen people is very clear when we look at the account of the arrest in John 18, verses 1 to 11. And I preach you the gospel under this theme. Jesus gave himself up to arrest so that he could bear God's wrath in your place. We'll see Jesus' power, his pity, and his plan. We just read together John 18, verses 1 to 11. Perhaps as you were reading, you were imagining the scene, and it appears to describe a very frightening scene for Jesus and his disciples. Maybe as you read it, you felt sorry for Jesus and his disciples. After Jesus had washed his disciples' feet in John 13, announced his departure from the earth, and taught them about the coming comforter in John 15 and 16, they all left the upper room together. 
They had gone out of Jerusalem and descended the 200 feet or so into the Kidron Valley and then gone up the other side to their usual place of prayer and rest in a garden on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. We read that they entered into this garden and verse 4, they went out in the garden. We could see that John is talking about a place that was probably walled, probably an olive orchard with orchard with an olive press in it. That's the meaning of Gethsemane. And perhaps there was even a shelter in this place. And Jesus had been in agony as he prayed to his father and warned his disciples about the danger of the temptations. And then we read in Matthew 26, suddenly he arose from that prayer and he announced that his betrayer was at hand. And John makes it clear that it would not have been hard to see the men coming. The word used for the band of soldiers referred to a group of about 600 men. And even if only a part of this cohort joined them, it would probably still not be surprising if there were over 50 and perhaps as many as 200 armed Roman soldiers coming to arrest him. And along with them came temple security officers who were serving the chief priests and the Pharisees, carrying lanterns and torches as they moved down the other side, that steep slope of the Kidron Valley toward Jesus, they would have been visible in their approach. The Romans, the Jewish leaders, and the apostate disciple conspired together against the Lord and his anointed king, just as we sang in Psalm 2. The disciples had seen Jesus' anguish in the garden. They had seen the small army approaching with swords and cudgels, and we can imagine their fear, their sadness, their defiance. It looked like another scene. David against Goliath. And in many ways it was. Because like David, also Jesus had the advantage for all this was God's plan. John makes it clear that Jesus had not gone to the garden to hide there, but he went to the garden because he knew that he would be found there by the man that he himself had sent to do what he was going to do quickly. John 13, verse 27. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. John 18, verse 2. And ever since Satan entered into his heart, he had been looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus to the chief priests and officers when no crowd was present. Jesus wasn't a trapped rabbit hiding from the foxes. But as we read in verse 4, he was aware of all that would happen to him. He set the scene. He came out of the garden to meet the forces of darkness that Satan had employed to arrest him. He came out, he stood there. Jesus had the advantage. Jesus displayed his power to the soldiers when he told them who he was. We can imagine the scene. 
as our Lord stepped forward, confirmed that he was the Jesus of Nazareth they were seeking. All of a sudden, a large crowd, that large crowd of men, perhaps hundreds of, of armed soldiers, they, they drew back from him and they fell at his feet on the ground. And whether some power from our Lord Jesus emanated out from him when he announced who he was, or whether the men stumbled from the surprise of his boldness and fell down the steep incline, John doesn't explain. It was very clear to everyone there that no one could arrest Jesus if he had not decided that his hour had come. And then to confirm his authority, our Lord Jesus took control of the situation. As if he were their commander, Jesus commanded the soldiers to let the disciples go, just as he had commanded Judas to go and do what he was going to do quickly. Jesus knew all things. He was in control also in the garden when they came to arrest him. And he had compassion on the men around him. We'll see his pity. In all his teaching, the Lord Jesus asked questions, asked people questions to encourage them to evaluate their viewpoint, to think about what they were doing. And knowing what would happen to him, Jesus asked the crowd of soldiers with Judas who they were looking for. And since the plural form is used, it appears that several of them answered that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, that they were seeking. And the response was understandable because these men were just obedient soldiers and guards who were carrying out their duties with little concern about whom they were arresting. They had been told to arrest Jesus of Nazareth, and they came with swords and clubs like they would if they had come to arrest any criminal. However, while the men were about to arrest him, the soldiers quickly learned a bit more of the truth about this Jesus of Nazareth that Judas and their Jewish superiors had known all along. And Jesus replied to their words with the answer, I am. They were forced by their circumstances to fall to the ground before him. John had mentioned that Judas was with them. Just before he mentioned that they fell down, and it is very possible that Judas had joined the nations on the ground before Jesus. Jesus did this so that the soldiers who could have known about his miracles might be certain that he was more than a common criminal, and yes, indeed, that God was on his side. Jesus' work also served as a warning for the Jewish officers who would have recognized the famous I am statement of Jesus as the words of the Almighty that the Almighty God used to reveal himself in Isaiah 40 to 55. And Jesus' words were a warning for Judas to think about what he was doing. For Judas also had heard Jesus' teaching when he said, 
before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Even at the time of his arrest, Jesus gave a glimpse of his glory and warned his enemies to think carefully about whom they were seeking to arrest and kill, whom they were hating. And in this way, Jesus revealed that he had come to the world to save sinners. He showed pity even on those who had come to arrest and kill him by giving them this warning. In his gracious pity, his mercy and compassion, our Lord gave the officers and soldiers with Judas an opportunity to respond to the second question. He asked again, who are you seeking? And they again answered. But they had an opportunity to repent of their sin. They had an opportunity to change their allegiance, to join this Prince of Peace, this light of the world. Sadly, however, though even a donkey may rethink his position and change his course when it faces an obstacle, these men, we read, were so blinded by their ignorance, rage, and envy that they plowed through with their dark mission. Can you believe it? Before we shake our heads at these soldiers in the garden, it's good for us to pause right now and think some more about how we respond to Jesus' word to the revelation of his glory and his love and his offer of grace. Jesus' small display of his power is a warning about what will happen on Judgment Day we also sang about in Psalm 2. It's a small display that serves as a warning for all who reject and attack the one that has a double-edged sword coming from his mouth. Today, just as the Romans, Jews, and apostate disciple were called to repent and to submit to Jesus Christ through the preaching, Jesus continues to call people from all over the world to submit to him as king. But now, he is no longer a weak human being stained with our sin and weighed down under the burden of God's wrath in some obscure garden in the darkness. And this call is more urgent than ever. Today, he stands as our victorious mediator who is continually interceding for us before his Father in heaven, who is calling us through the living preaching of his word to to come into the presence of his Father through the new and living way. His pity, his call, his compassion continues to go into the world. And as with everything the Lord Jesus did, his interaction with the soldiers also served to teach his disciples who were showing their own unbelief or misunderstanding of all that Jesus was doing. 
While he was being arrested, Jesus had pity on his confused disciples, for he knew their weakness, he knew their doubt. When Jesus stood up between the soldiers and his disciples and commanded that his life be exchanged for their freedom, he revealed that he had come as the good shepherd to give his life for his sheep and to do it willingly. John tells us that when Jesus had prayed to his father that he would not lose one of the disciples that God had given to him, he was talking about saving them from this hour of temptation so that they might suffer more for the gospel afterward when Jesus would send them out as his witnesses. Jesus knew that his disciples were prone to stumble and even deny the Lord Jesus from afar to save their own lives. And he did not want them to turn away from the Christian faith because they were spiritually slaughtered by the evil one in a fight that was not their own. Jesus had not taken them in the garden to, to fight off his enemies with the sword for him. But he did it so that they could witness that he had come to bear God's wrath and destroy Satan for them in their place. Our Lord had pity on the disciples in the garden because he was preparing them to be witnesses in the world as his apostles. He saved them from death in the garden so that they might suffer and die for the gospel afterwards as faithful preachers of the truth. As faithful preachers of the truth, they had to see what happened in the garden. They had to understand that Jesus was willing to die for sinners. That he was obedient to his Father unto death. And that no other human being could withstand the punishment of God that they deserved. They needed to know Jesus' self-sacrificial love so that they could tell the future generations of Christ's church that their Savior was not a victim, but he was a victor. Then we see that through all this suffering, right there even in the garden, in the darkness, Jesus was showing his compassion and his pity to you and to I as members of the Emmanuel Congregation, 2020. That's why we have John 18, 1 to 11 before us today. And why it's so important to pay close attention to who Jesus of Nazareth truly is. To understand, to believe, to trust in this great, in the great I Am. The soldiers had brought lanterns to arrest the light of the world. They had brought swords and clubs to arrest the Prince of Peace, our Lord. He was not weak, but he is strong. He doesn't depend on us or his disciples in any other way, whether our swords or our worship, but rather we need him. And he reveals this to us in the garden as he shows his pity to those around him. And we need him 
because God carried out his plan to save the fallen race through his son, Jesus Christ, through this very work that he was doing. He was obedient unto death. We see his plan. The very end, after Peter had taken that sword out and he had cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus, seems like a very fruitless and an unnecessary attack, not even on a soldier, but on a, on a mere servant. Luke tells us Jesus healed the man's ear. Then Jesus speaks to Peter. He gives him an answer that shows there's much more going on at that moment in the garden, at that moment in history, than any person around Jesus was understanding. Jesus told Peter to put his sword away because he wanted to drink the cup that the Father had given to him. Our Lord Jesus, in speaking of a cup, is referring to Psalm 75, verse 8, where suffering under God's anguish was compared to drinking from the cup of God's wrath. Jesus was not in anguish in the garden because he had no way of saving himself from men. But he was in anguish in the garden because of his love for sinners. Because his love for sinners made it necessary to place himself under the bitter wrath of his heavenly father against sin. And in these words to Peter, our Lord Jesus is announcing that he is the promised Messiah, the mediator who would save us from the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He calls the world to look at him, his willingness to enter into the most intense part of the hellish agony of being punished and separated from his father. That's not a reason for pity or sadness. That's a reason for intense and everlasting praise. Without Jesus' willing obedience to fulfill his part in God's plan, there would be no atonement for sins. His obedience is necessary for our atonement. And Jesus' words to Peter are like the most beautiful, rich, enduring, and hopeful words that we could hear. For they assure us of God's everlasting love. This may be hard for us to understand. It was hard for Jesus' enemies who cannot fathom such self-sacrificial love. It was hard for Jesus' disciples who, who loved their Lord in all his innocence, righteousness, and power. They were hoping for restoration without death. It's hard for us who do not understand the fullness of the holiness of God, the true depth of the fall into sin, the permeating rot of the sinful nature in our own hearts, and the extent of the, of the curse which reaches into every corner of, of God's creation. But Jesus understood. He knew 
the scriptures. He knew the promises. He knew the message of the sacrifices. He knew that full payment had to be made by a righteous human being in order to satisfy God's justice and bring salvation to fallen creatures. He knew that the seed had to die before it could rise to bring many sons to glory. And he spoke of it often. He was, he is the manifestation of God's eternal love. And he knew that this meant willingly drinking the cup of God's wrath against sin for us and in our place. So he commanded Peter to put his sword back into its sheath. He allowed the soldiers to seize him. He subjected himself to the anger of God expressed through the humiliation of being treated like a weak, guilty human criminal. He was resolved that God's plan for the human race would also be his plan, for he came to do the will of his Father because of his love for you. And John's account of Jesus' arrest is very humbling for the church of Jesus Christ today. As we read it, the Holy Spirit exposes that hard shell of, of ignorance, pride, and complacency that so often leads us to undermine our utter need for Jesus Christ. The Spirit cuts through the shell and shows us that no one could do what Jesus did for us. No one can save us from the wrath of God except for Jesus Christ. There is no substitute that is greater. There is no other source of comfort that heals as Jesus does. There is no other way to escape eternal condemnation and punishment under the just and holy wrath of our sovereign creator. We need to be united to Jesus Christ alone. We need to be joined to his body by true faith so that we might share in his righteousness and his obedience and receive the glorious benefits of our loving mediator, the very one who calls us to come. We need to do as Psalm 2 already announced, kiss the Son and submit to him. And the Holy Spirit will lead all those who believe in Jesus Christ into the same trust in the Father, the same faith in his promises and obedience to his will. And as our Lord has revealed, when we follow him in God's plan, in his mercy, in his power, we will see that in submission there is peace. In repentance, there is grace. And in Jesus Christ, there is salvation. Amen. We'll now sing in response Psalm 3, stanza 2. And as you may wonder why this psalm was chosen, you can see the title of the psalm. It's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, 
He was David fleeing into the Kidron Valley to escape his son who had rebelled against him and was also betrayed by his servant Ahithophel. And so we see that even Psalm 3 is a psalm that points and reminds us of this arrest of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that situation, as David cried also, Jesus cried to his Father also, we can cry to our Father when we feel overwhelmed, that when we turn to him and put our trust in him, we can find rest, even though foes may be around us. So we'll sing together Psalm 3, stanza 2. Thank you. 